Welcome to Work and Play, the podcast of Kinsinji, Brooks, Smith & Profit. Here we discuss employment news and provide practical insights and tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson, and with me is my co-host and partner, Sherry Silverman. Sherry, I don't think it will come as much of a surprise to anyone who's listened to our podcast that you and I both enjoy a good movie, book, or TV show from time to time. That is certainly true. I mean, who doesn't need a break from reality occasionally or especially nowadays? All the time. And I hope I'm not going to ruin your reprieve, but I thought it would be fun to mix the day job with the pursuit of mindless entertainment and do an episode on the good, the bad, and the ugly of employment law on TV. It's just great idea. Love it. Let's do it. So where do you want to start? Well, first up on LNE TV, I believe that I have mentioned a fondness for NCIS in the past. Are you a fan? All right. So first you said LNE TV. That is fabulous. Um, of course, <laughs> thanks. Not not to be confused with Constangi TV, the show that's hosted by our partner Lee Tyson. But anyway, yes, I do like NCIS now and again. I have watched some of it live because it, I think it's been on TV for something like 17 years, and I, I don't know how you could miss it, but it was also one of the shows that I binge-watched last year during my maternity leave. For our listeners who perhaps haven't watched this show as much as I have, uh, one of the running bits over numerous seasons is that lead agent Jethro Gibbs whaps his subordinate, very special agent Anthony Dinozo, on the back of the head when Tony is being obnoxious or offensive, which frankly happens often. Um, I think Tony gets smacked at least once per episode. Oh, yeah. And occasionally one of the other characters does it too, right? They do. And when you're watching it on TV, it's funny. I admit it. Dinozo can be incredibly annoying and, and watching, you're thinking, yeah, he deserved that. Um, however, Sherry, if you could put on your employment lawyer hat, aka someone who is obviously out to remove all fun and laughter from the world, what do you think about this one? Okay, so my professional legal analysis is very simple. There should be no hitting in the workplace ever. Um, I kind of feel like a kindergarten teacher saying that, but you should never hit or kick a coworker. This is basic advice. There's just no excuse for physical violence in the workplace. And a prohibition against violence should be laid out in the employee handbook. We're, I don't know, a minute or two into the podcast, and we are already up on the employee handbook soapbox. That might be a new personal best. I am very impressed, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Although, to be honest, I don't think you really need to say no hitting in your handbook, but um, yeah, that, that could be something for debate. You and I can debate those types of things on future episodes. All right. So back to the current topic. Um, that's not the only example that comes to mind from NCIS. I have more. What are you thinking? So another one of the running bits is how the team does anything they can to avoid employee training, including the mandatory sexual harassment training. Oh, you're right. They're always very excited to be called out immediately before or during a training. And we, as employment lawyers, obviously love employee and management training. 
We want all employees and all managers to receive it regularly, preferably at the time of hire, at the time of promotion, and annually thereafter. We also like that training to be neatly documented in the employee's personnel file. Um, And while subjects covered in employee training may vary somewhat depending on your state and your industry, every employee should get basics like non-discrimination, non-harassment, safety training, wage and hour issues, and how to report any concerns or questions you may have. Yep. And companies should track who receives the training and ensure that ultimately everyone gets it, even if they were out sick or out, you know, solving a murder case on the day that it was offered. You know, I think most of us work in a uh, company where being out sick is a slightly more likely option than out solving a murder case. But yes, I I agree with your point there. (laughs) Of course, I'm sure NCIS followed up to ensure that all the team members ultimately did receive that training after the case was solved. You know, I'm sure that happened off screen. Sure. And I'm equally sure that the sexual harassment training eventually sunk in for Tony and he changed his ways in all future jobs, right? Right. Uh, Yeah, because, I mean, think about what it would actually be like to work with Tony. When he was on the show, he made off-color, offensive, frequently sexist comments all the time. I mean, he was basically a Title VII lawsuit just waiting to happen. True. And because we don't want to mislead our listeners, let's note that being an employee of the federal government is a bit different than working for a private employer. So while everything we've mentioned is generally good advice for all employers, there are some differences for government employees that we we haven't gotten into. That's a nice disclaimer. You know, I have a lot of practice. (laughs) It's yet another occupational hazard. Okay, are we done with our legal analysis of NCIS on L&E TV? For the moment, I think so. Let's move on to a different genre, shall we, to a show I admit I didn't think of when I first devised this episode, but that some of our colleagues mentioned when I did a little pre-podcast crowdsourcing. The show is Insane Pools Off the Deep End. It is a reality TV show about, duh, a company that builds really high-end, beautiful, fancy pools. I think you're just teeing up another Florida man story, aren't you? Because I think the company is based here in Florida. Yes. Yes, they are. And they do very cool things. Um, But what makes several of our colleagues cringe is that the only female uh, character who regularly appears on the show, who I, I actually think is the owner's mom, is regularly called woman. And one of the other guys on the team is nicknamed old man. You know, I'm sure the nicknames grow out of place of love or perhaps they may be tongue in cheek, but as fun hating employment lawyers, we may raise an eyebrow when nicknames reflect a protected characteristic or status. I agree. And I think at least one justice on the U.S. Supreme Court probably agrees that this is the type of thing that can come up as evidence in litigation. Do you remember earlier this year when the Supreme Court was hearing a case, I believe it was about the the standard that a federal employee must meet to show that there was unlawful age discrimination, 
And in the course of that oral argument, Chief Justice John Roberts asked if it would be actionable if a hiring person said, okay, Boomer. He was obviously not a fan of that comment. I do remember that. And I remember all the social media debate and commentary about it. So if you don't remember the dates off the top of your head, a boomer is generally said to be someone born between 1946 and 1964. So that's people who are currently in the 55-ish through 75-ish range, roughly. So basically, anyone that you could accurately call a boomer is, by definition, someone who is protected from age discrimination by the Age Discrimination and Employment Act as well as some similar state laws. Right. All of which makes OK Boomer an allegedly age-related comment that you could probably get in trouble for and you might need to address in the workplace. And I will confess, I am not a boomer, but I was kind of amused by all the attention and hype that this single comment generated online when, for example, Millennials routinely get creamed with stereotypes about being spoiled and unmotivated. Um, But hey, PSA, the oldest millennials are about six months away from turning 40. So perhaps we all want to make a mental note that saying, okay, millennial is is not going to be a great idea soon either. (laughs) I know there's a lot of stuff we just can't say. We just cannot have fun anymore. Um, But, you know, I think this reflects a deeper social commentary. You know, we've reached a point where calling someone woman or old man affectionately or humorously could come up in an employment law case. I've actually seen it multiple times. So, you know, we want to be human and have fun. But I do think you're taking a risk if you ignore this type of comment, especially if the nickname is reflected on your website and broadcast nationally. Agreed. And of course, in your workplace, if everyone involved thought it was a funny joke, you could probably just give the speaker a little coaching or an oral warning about comments like this being inappropriate in the workplace. But permitting this type of ongoing comment that could be perceived as mocking or discriminatory, it's it's just not a best practice. I completely agree. So... Another one of my all-time favorite TV shows is Gilmore Girls. Have you ever watched Gilmore Girls, Sherry? (laughs) I hope you don't have a drink in your mouth because you might spit it out. And no, the answer is no. I'm sorry. (laughs) We can still be friends. I know this is one of your favorites, but I have never seen a single episode. Sorry. (laughs) You're right. We can still be friends, but you <laughs> officially have homework now, and you need to go watch Gilmore Girls. Um, it has this fast-paced, often very clever, witty dialogue that just makes me happy. Um, even though the older I get, the less I am impressed with some of the choices made by various characters on the show. So, you know, I've never seen it, but I can only imagine that, you know, something about Becoming a parent and responsible can do that to you. I don't know. Um, so, all right, enlighten me. Is there a particular episode that you have in mind that you'd like to talk about today? Well, since you have never seen Gilmore Girls, I, I do feel like it would be appropriate to rank my top five favorite episodes and tell you all about those. But 
I think that's probably outside of the scope of our podcast. So we'll we'll have to do that a different time. Deal. Deal. And an, an after show party. All right. So for anyone else listening who hasn't watched this show, it focuses on Lorelai Gilmore and her daughter, Rory. And one of the plot lines is that Lorelai and her best friend, Suki, have a dream of opening their very own inn, the Dragonfly Inn, and that makes them employers. So how'd they do? It's a little hit and miss. Um Really, it's it's more miss than hit. For example, at one point, Lorelai is absolutely terrorizing her employees because she keeps going behind them and redoing their work, and I think there's some yelling involved. All right, so probably not the most effective leadership style and, you know, could lead not only to high turnover, but theoretically, there could be a complaint if one of the employees said that he or she was singled out for extra scrutiny because of his or her race or gender or, you know, any other protected category. I agree. Um, One of my absolute favorite examples of horrible employment law behavior on TV would have to be um, an episode where Lorelai gives the first official sexual harassment seminar, quote unquote, to her staff at the Dragonfly Inn, where she kind of flippantly says, sexual harassment is bad, so no one touch anyone in any funny places unless specifically asked. Moving on. Well, I mean, it's concise and to the point and legally accurate. Uh, but not comprehensive, <laughs> huh? Yeah, no, I would say no. <laughs> and after she says this, Michelle, the, the concierge pipes up and says, that's it? What about telling people not to ogle other people? And Lorelai cuts him off and says, no one touch Michelle. Moving on. Yeah, I think that's a double fail because not only was that training ineffective and unhelpful, it doesn't sound like Michelle's complaint was investigated and properly addressed either. I agree. And if I'm going to pick one more example from Gilmore Girls to talk about in this context, I can't fail to mention Emily Gilmore, who is Lorelai's mom. And if you're not a fan of the show, Emily is a very wealthy society woman whose absolutely appalling treatment of her maids is another one of the running bits on the show. She has a new maid literally every episode, and they come from all walks of life, all corners of the world. But according to her, each and every one of them is incompetent. And so she fires them all. Oh, yeah. And you told me before that she actually gets sued by one of her maids, right? She does. She is sued by a maid that she fired because the maid walked too loudly. Well, Connecticut is an at-will employment state, but, you know, I think that companies realize that you still should have a good reason for terminating someone. Um, You know, you don't just fire someone for a crazy reason. Right. And is is walking too loudly really the hill that you, as an employer, want to die on? I I think no. (laughs) And I don't remember exactly... Uh, what the maid's theory of the case was or whether it's discussed, but I'm I'm assuming she alleged wrongful termination. And in defense of this lawsuit against her, Emily, the mom, asked Lorelai, her daughter, to give a deposition in her defense. Interesting strategic choice there, but go ahead. Right? Like, why didn't they just get an affidavit from her? Mm-hmm. 
But prior to the deposition, Emily's lawyers sent Lorelai this big, thick packet of questions to use to practice. And Lorelai did look at these questions a little bit because her daughter, Rory, made her do it. And I have to tell you, every time I watch this episode, this whole scene bugs me. Because yes, we do prepare witnesses for a deposition if at all possible. Depositions are scary um, and, and can be challenging. But I have to tell you, I've never prepared a witness for deposition by sending them a big old fat packet of questions and telling them to like have at it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly documents that we might share with a witness to help the witness prepare and understand the questions they're likely to hear, you know. For example, the complaint that was filed or a contemporaneous statement made by that witness. But sending a packet of questions um, to a third-party witness, I'm going to say that's not good lawyering. I agree. And it didn't work well either because later on, Emily reads a couple different chunks from the deposition, and it was an absolute train wreck. There is unresponsive rambling. There is extremely negative testimony. And as a lawyer, I particularly enjoyed the part where Lorelai attempts to explain away some of her bad testimony by saying the lawyer was asking questions using lawyer tricks. And Emily responds by saying, by asking you to expand. It's great. I enjoy it. All right. So I'll have to catch up on that one. But, you know, from what I can tell, not only was the termination itself not well supported, but there was also some lawyer fail in there. Um, poor witness selection, poor witness preparation, all of which created damaging witness testimony. And it's a good teachable moment about why your lawyer wants to prep you before your deposition. It It is really worth the time and the effort. Yeah, I totally agree. You know what struck me as I was doing all the hard, exhaustive research to come up with examples for this podcast, Sherry? <laughs> These are all bad examples. I mean, no one that I could think of even got close to a best practice. So I guess good employment law makes bad TV. Yeah, and but makes excellent podcasts, right? <laughs> right. Uh, to end our episode today, Sherry, what is the absolute most cringeworthy or hilarious employment law TV moment for you? Okay, so this should not come as a surprise. It you know, if I had to give the LNE TV Emmy award, it would definitely go to the office. Um, now, I'm not sure you can find a single episode where they've done something right or, you know, everything right. But there's one in particular that comes to mind that's just a great example of both hilarious and cringeworthy at the same time. And that is the Diversity Day episode. Do tell. Okay. So, you know, the main character, um, Steve Carell, you know, it's Michael, he plays Michael and you don't see this part, but, you know, he engages in a controversial imitation of a Chris Rock routine, which basically forces the staff to undergo racial diversity seminar. So the company brings in a consultant to teach the staff about tolerance and diversity, but Michael is completely disruptive, um, he tries to impart his own knowledge, which frankly he doesn't have. So he starts out by, you know, saying, you know, name an ethnicity that, you know, you find sexually attractive. That's oh, how my word. Know. Right. Um, 
And then, you know, later in the day, he decides, you know, that corporate consultant that came in was worthless. So he's going to do his own. So then he assigns each staff member an index card and they write, you know, a different race on it or different protected category on it. They put it on their forehead and then they walk around to other people and have the other people give them clues so they can guess what race is listed on their forehead. As you can imagine, a lot of colorful and uncomfortable commentary. So I would encourage you to go check that out if you haven't seen it. You know, I think we could probably do an entire episode of LNE TV on The Office. And in fact, I think we should do I think we should do a part 2 of LNE TV sometime in the future. Maybe maybe not for the next episode, but at some point we can cover The Office. Um, I do need to figure out how to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer per a challenge from my best friend from law school. And I feel like some fan favorites like West Wing, Friends, Tiger King should also make an appearance. Um, so I, I think I should tell you this. I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer either. So we can talk about that. Who offline. are you? <laughs> All right, let's do this because I, you know, we have a lot in common, but I think we have different TV shows that we watch. Let's do this. Let's ask for audience participation. Um, if our listeners, aka live studio audience, have any TV show examples they want to discuss or they think are noteworthy that we can feature in part two, let us know. We are all ears. Email us at workandplay@constangi.com. You spell it out: work and play at constangi.com or leave us a comment on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, email us, wherever. I love that idea. Um, Sherry, you have some homework, but thank you <laughs> for tackling LNE TV with me today. You bet. You know, and I appreciate the how the hard research and time you put into watching TV. Uh, I mean, you know, preparing for this podcast episode today. <laughs> I know uh, it was a it was a hard job, but somebody had to do it, and I'm I'm happy to take one for the team. <laughs> Thank you. Before we sign off today, I want to make a request of our listeners. As I've said before, we are a new podcast, and it would be great if those of you listening would follow us, rate us, or leave us a written review on iTunes or wherever you listen, so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you tune in again in a couple of weeks for the next episode.